Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on June the 25th, 2017. Well, summer's back and some parts are getting their high summer heat and other ones are getting the, the heavy sprayed rainfall areas like here, for instance, where it's been giving us deluges up this way. Just like the end of the world, Noah's Ark, etc. And I'd, I'd actually cut some trees down to build an ark, but they won't let me. It's against the law these days, apparently. So I guess even if Noah was alive today, there'd be no future for mankind because he couldn't build an ark to save anybody. And that's how it goes. And of course, with the weather up here, with all this rain, comes heavy mosquito time. And I swear these things are getting bigger all the time. There's definitely new kinds of mosquitoes out there now. I, I do keep tabs on them. And these latest ones are like flying syringes. I'm not kidding you. They're meant really for horses. But when those things bite you, you certainly know they've been biting you. And they're, they're not too pleasant at all. Rather nasty characters. But that's what you put up with. And now that we're going into sustainability big time, uh, we won't be driving around too much for much longer because we won't be able to afford it because of electric cars and so on. That's all part of the thing we'll be touching on tonight. So I hope you're all getting through, getting by, etc. This incredibly managed system we live in. I said years ago, back in the 90s, that the system would be a kind of fascistic dominant minority at the top using their scientific elite and educational elite at the same time to manage the rest of the population down below. And the general population are going to be managed in a communistic collectivist style. That's exactly how it's coming out to be. Public-private partnerships, all the different terms they're using, that's all it boils down to is collectivism for the people. And you will obey and do what you're told, and through very, very good indoctrination in school, as we've been getting for years now, the children will grow up to be the exact type of adults, very, very obedient, that the government wants them to be, believing everything they're told, by the way. It's already here. When you think back to the old video clips on Aldous Huxley being interviewed by uh, Mr. Mike Wallace, it was, I think, 1950s or so, Huxley guardedly did disclose that there were techniques available and he meant that they were new. he knew they were in use already, had been for a long time, but getting better all the time with all the studies and behaviorism and psychiatry, psychology, and uh, now it's neuroscience too, coupled with them all. And the, he knew that the sciences of manipulation, especially from a very early age, done the proper way, would have fantastic effects for the controllers of the world. And he mentioned that on Mike Wallace's interview when he said that a small group of people could manage the, the rest of the population and get them to do things that perhaps were not in their best interest. He knew that you would be made to believe anything, and it's so true, anything at all. If they can catch you early enough and doctrinate you properly, and then even with your entertainment, indoctrinate you further for, for adulthood and so on, continuous indoctrination all through adult life with new updates embedded into comedies and dramas with all the politically correct terms, etc. Awfully, awfully perfect today. This really is. Really is. You see the signs all around you, and that's why, too, the public don't react 
to anything that they should react to and say, no, we've had enough. It doesn't happen, if you've noticed. Even though, in this basic, simple logic, that we've been told about the future, the immediate future, regarding how you can live, where you can live, if you can live in those areas at all, and your animal corridors and human corridors and your habitat areas, all these things from the United Nations that were signed years ago, that are implementing now, and you, you find there's no reaction from the public at all. It's quite fascinating to see this happen. And it is, it's like living in fantasia and watching it becoming more perfect all the time as the controllers tweak all the different parts they have to tweak to make it work smoothly for them. To find out, and they do that in real time, they find out if there's any public pushback or, or, or complaints or whatever about certain parts of their agenda, and they immediately find ways to try and rectify that and swing them over to their side. That happens all the time. Quite fascinating, really, and a, and a shame at the same time, because if you understand what's happening in the world and you, you're aware of the implementation of all the agendas, then you really see what you're up against. And it really is incredibly massive as a massive agenda that you are up against. Massive. With almost all the strings of control being out of your hands, it's hard to even get a hold of them and pull the controllers down to your level. You're not allowed to do that today. Most folk who affect your life today, you don't know are there. You don't know their names. You, you, you'd be told about CEOs of corporations and professors and some higher levels, but you don't know these people whatsoever. And most of them are truly faceless and, and nameless to you as well. That are controlling and planning your lives. How you're going to live, if you're going to live there in that area, and if you're going to be kicked out of that area eventually, under the and saving the environment and so on. All the different cons that are going on. Remember what the Club of Rome said, that man, therefore, is the enemy. And they were given the task of finding a way to ram the whole agenda through, this socialist agenda on behalf of the wealthiest folk on the world, who are your masters, and, and to control the rest of the population down below them in the perfect managed system. And they said they hit upon man being the problem. Man was, was the enemy of the planet. And man was going to cause the downfall of the planet. That would fit the bill. That would fit the bill. And they came up with the idea of global warming. And then they've changed it to climate change and so on. And saving the, the biosphere. A whole bunch of different terms for the same thing. Even though it can all be debunked, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Because it's already being implemented and rammed through. And many, as I say, many people who are now in their 20s, have been brainwashed from an early age to go along with this whole agenda, from, from even kindergarten. A good example, there's many good examples actually of the brainwashing. In effect, you can actually see it in action, because if you look at the U.S. as an example, and Canada's probably worse, in fact, but the U.S. has had many, many years of, of, of very good indoctrination of the brainwashing techniques into students from very early age. 
I talked about it last week too, on how this technique was was how it works, how it works awfully well. And look at the carry on when Trump got elected right to the present time. It's pretty well, and then people are voicing openly a kind of civil war. But I do wonder how much of the general population is involved in it and how much of it, if it is really this massive army that are paid to protest, except the NGOs and all these ones, and, 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 and their CEOs as well. They have CEOs too, you know, the top who get great salaries, etc., etc. But But when are they going to give up? Or are they going to give up? See, if they don't give up, you do have a civil war. You have anarchy. And that has to be obviously dealt with then. Now remember too, with the rhetoric about kill presidents, etc., that they're going on about all the time in the U.S., that is beyond complaining, obviously. That's way beyond complaining. That, that's dangerous stuff. And sure enough, you'll always get the, the crazy person here or there who will go ahead and, and try something. That's that's completely well known by all law authorities everywhere. And you have to ask, well, why they keep pushing this and pushing this and pushing this? And it's because they, they will not sit back and say, okay, we'll just wait out Trump in his term. And some of them have already said they can wait out Trump and get back to the the signing off the carbon taxes and all the rest of it once he's out of office. But the other faction don't want to wait that long, obviously. And a lot of big, big money boys, there's always money behind everything, including the environmental movement. I mean, you're going to have populations across the whole planet depending on electric companies for everything they need even to to charge their electric cars, which is going to be the law. It's coming down really hard in Canada right now. And we know darn well there's not enough. Uh, they've already been telling us for years they're not producing enough electricity and telling us to cut back, and then they're going to give you electric cars? Come on. Use your logic here. Use your logic. It's not difficult. But getting back to Trump and so on, in the U.S., you can see this fanaticism of what's called the left. It's always the followers, the ones who, who are leading them all. They know what the score is, what the big game is, but the followers are the ones who will become fanatical. They believe all. And they'll go ahead and do all the dirty work and, and so on and so on. But it reminds me, when they start shooting people, it reminds me, and the hatred is coming out, it's awfully like what happened with the Bolshevik Revolution. Beyond a lot of similarities, actually. And the Bolshevik Revolution, just like the, the, the big uprising in France, again, with the same factions behind them, had the reign of terror. Mass slaughters. Same in China. Mass slaughters. And you're dealing with something that you better think carefully about when it comes to either supporting this or even wanting it to happen. Because... <laughs> The ones who, who get wiped out generally are the ones who help it all, all, all to come to pass. Bezmanov said that, the defector from the KGB. He talked about it, where the first folk, once they have achieved their first goal of overthrowing government, was to then turn on those who helped them because they had a different goal at the top 
or where it was supposed to go, and all the schmucks that followed them were to be bumped off because they would cause problems, they'd be complaining, etc. That's how it works. You're never told the truth about anything in this world, but it comes from people who are in power or people who want to be in power. So for those who are becoming riled up by master manipulators, you better think twice because you're being used. You know, followers are always used. And the techniques of getting them to be followers are so all-pervasive and and perfected in this day and age. But yeah, they're always getting used. Never, often, in fact, what they end up bringing in is the actual opposite of what they expected. Rather than get more freedoms and all the rest of it, whatever that happens to be, Again, that's another exaggerated thing in this day and age. More freedoms. They've lost the freedoms they already had. And they they don't even know what they were, in fact. I can remember, for instance, when there was a real movement in, in the U.S. It lasted a long, long time. Of always teaching the people what their rights were. And they went through their constitution. They went through their bill of rights. Something very unique, because most countries don't have anything like that. Uh, they have oral, oh, you've got oral ones and so on, like Britain, which seem to be very elastic. But in the U.S., people, a lot of people knew their rights. And that was, a, that was an awful nuisance to the globalists, the ones who wanted to bring in the global system. And I've read the articles before from the Council on Foreign Relations, which really is the branch of, American branch of the Royal Institute for International Affairs a globalist society to, to bring in a global governmental system. And one of the reporters said years ago that in their own magazine, Foreign Affairs magazine, uh, that rather than, than try to fight the Constitution head on, because they couldn't, they couldn't win it because it, was, it wasn't meant for internationalism, but rather than fight it head on, point by point, they would simply go around it. And that's what they've been doing ever since. And strangely, too, I mean, in the late 90s, the FBI came out and said that the main enemy uh, in the United States was, at that time, the militia movements, for instance, which was a right to to have them. Every every state has a right to have their own militias in the U.S. But that was going to be their their biggest problem by the FBI and they even told the police that anybody using a constitution or trying to quote the constitution, that's the law of the land. Now, if, they're not, if, if your governments aren't following the law of the land, what kind of laws are they following? They're lawless, in other words. That's just it. But they made, they made it out that uh, those who quoted it would be the terrorists, basically. So it was a tremendous obstacle for the globalists to have a constitution meant for a nation where everybody at one time knew the basics of it and knew what their rights were. Well, now they don't. They don't. And even that which used to be what they call Patriot Radio, for instance, is no longer really there as Patriot Radio, if you noticed. It's been slickly turned around 180 degrees and it's not even... At one time, you, you had people on who would... Frequently, <laughs> talk about rights, the rights of man, the rights of the people, and so on. It was not communistic at all, 
but it gave you the rights to the people because at one time people valued their own little privacy area, their own little place, a little plot of land, however humble it might be, but it was a right to have it. And, of course, communism would have you have owning nothing at all. If you own nothing at all, believe you me, you're, the, you're, you're subject to the whim of the masters above you, completely subject to them. But even owning your, your little, as I say, little shack somewhere means it's yours. They gave you some security. The system coming in is going to abolish all of that, step by step by step. And they're on a roll now. They're on a real roll. I really mean that. You'll see it across the world in all the British Commonwealth countries, more so, faster and so on, because they've already brainwashed the populations. They've demolished what used to be, say, Britain and other countries in the process. And they're really rolling ahead with the complete elimination of nations and borders and all the rest of it. They're, they will never let a Brexit thing happen. It won't happen. It won't happen. Because they don't want anybody else to follow suit. When you realize the years and years and years of massive money and propaganda that went into brainwashing the people to go along with this and accept it, most of the time they didn't even know what was going on until suddenly you're under the rule of a foreign power based in another country. And that's what internationalism is. And it's a tyranny, of course. I read the articles years ago on the air by old dissidents of the Soviet Union who said this is worse than the Soviet Union having an EU parliament run the way it's run in a super secret basically commissariat at the very, very top. They really ran the system. And the politicians down below, as they said, you know, in many articles, had, had no real power to do anything. They could debate things, that was all. But they had no power to change laws or rules or anything else. The commission at the top did it all. And they call that democracy. Democracy, as I've mentioned before, is completely elastic, depending on what tyrant runs you at that particular time. Today, you're under, as I say, the collectivist, almost communistic system, where the state rules what you must do, where you must live. They're bringing in their, their corridors. It's an old thing I read years ago at the United Nations, where you, you have to live in particular corridors along highways, etc., the main highways of your, your nations and not outside of them. And then eventually they start closing them off because you won't be allowed to travel. They won't ban you from traveling. They'll say, well, you can't use your gasoline cars anymore. And your electric cars, believe you me, will be useless in a country like Canada in the north with the weather you get up here. And batteries don't like freezing, freezing temperatures that, that well anyway. Never mind the cost of it. That's a different topic again. But the fact is that you're going to get moved off the road. Never mind the cost of buying them, even though the government is subsidizing them. They're going to get their whole agenda through. Remember, Agenda 21 has no private vehicles. That's to be the end of it as time goes on. No private vehicles. You won't be able to afford them or to get them repaired or fixed or anything else. So darn expensive. But anyway... That's the whole system. And then you have all the articles I've read again from the Council on Foreign Relations that said it was time to bring the philanthropists, meaning the big foundations, 
on board, the ones who designed this whole system, the ones who designed the United Nations to be a world government system and so on, to bring them on board, the philanthropists, the Bill Gates, etc., the multi-millionaires or billionaires, and they should take the rightful place governing you. Well, do you vote them in? I didn't. Did you? To understand your whole system is being changed in your lifetime. <laughs> You're living through it. And most folk don't even blink at it. I don't think they really recognize what's happening. Something's happened to them themselves. And what has happened is what H.G. Wells said many, 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 many years ago. He said eventually they could train the public not to be concerned about how they were being governed. And there was not participating and not demanding from politicians or, or, or their government's answers. There was this lead them to get managed, because world managers would manage you. That's what you have today, world managers. You don't elect them. Your governments really are becoming uh, simply <laughs> rubber stampers. That's what they do for these big philanthropists and United Nations non-governmental organizations, etc., that's, it's already here, actually. It's already here. And what I talk about is the basic facts. It's not speculation. And facts, as they are, aren't very pleasant, especially when you've been raised to be egocentric and egocentronic. You, you, you like to look at the positive things and happy things, but you don't want to look at the bad things or even hear about them. And now, if you don't look at the bad things, you won't be able to stand up and, and, and form your little groups and complain to government and say, that's enough, <laughs> enough of that. If you don't even know what's going on, you see. Clever, isn't it? Just look at the happy things, the, the things that don't matter. Just look at that. That's what you've been told for years and years, and now most folk are like that, until they, they don't want to look at the bad stuff at all. Ignore the, the unpleasant well, all hell comes down the pike, believe you me. Whether you're ignoring it or not, eventually it's going to come up behind you and whack you one. That's what happens. Clever, though, because we've got all these sciences working against you all the time. Now, tonight I'm going to touch on some things, which maybe some folk will find interesting, because it involves a few countries, and as I say, they always set up their... They're, they're testing bases in different countries to test them before they spread it to the rest of the world in different, different particular areas. And <laughs> remember a few years ago, I read all the United Nations stuff and, and the post-consumerist society and bringing austerity into the public. That's all we got told for a while. People don't realize that it's in their subconscious that it's conditioned them, these little things. They've heard it whether they wanted to hear it or not, through bits and bites from the media, either, you know, television or, or radio, whatever it happens to be, but they've got it, it's embedded in their, in their minds. Austerity. Austerity is coming. And all your extra cash that was meant at one time for consumerism, uh, you won't have any more. It'll go to all the different fees and, and, and taxes that you'll have to pay just to exist. That's what it's all about, post-consumerist society, austerity. And here's one, Canada's food prices, which already skyrocketed a few years ago, same time as the States did. It says, offer a taste of inflation to come. And it says, 
those statistic Canada's, and every country has got the st- statistic department, which George Orwell talked about in 1984, the greatest con of all statistics. And it says, although Statistic Canada's consumer price index says food prices have fallen a bit in the past year, there are indications from another source that the cost of some grocery items has increased a lot. So there's your double speak right there in the same sentence. That's a standard technique, of, by the way, of uh, cognitive dissonance. Now, meat prices have gone up about 11%. They claim so that's more than that because most folk in Canada that I know anyway, I can't afford really good meat anymore. It's just out of sight. And it's going up and up and up. But again, that falls right back into eventually weaning folk off meat altogether, which is part of the big global agenda too, step by step by step. It's quite easy to do, you know. And then you're left with the, the chicken, of course, and chickens to be the main staple for a while, and then they'll try and phase that out down the road as well. There's no doubt about it, because they have, they have world meetings about this all the time. I'm sick reading the stuff from the United Nations and all the different affiliated groups of the United Nations talking about this over the years. It's so monotonous, but the fact is it's all here. Another one, two meat prices set to rise up to 9% this year, even as other groceries take less of a bite and so on. And they're getting the public used to it step by step by step, and that's just the way it goes. Uh, they've got all their, their usual excuses, but the fact is, the reality is, it's, it's done by design. Another one, two, post-consumerist, remember, and austerity agenda. Secret briefings says up to $300 per tonne federal carbon tax by 2050 is required to meet the climate targets. This is all the phony nonsense to bring you into complete poverty, most people into complete poverty. That's what it's for. Worldwide. So $300 per tonne in taxes, all taxes, taxes, taxes. Now all taxes go right to the bottom uh, of the ladder across the board. And that's the general population. That's where they all live. We pay for everything. This is Environment Canada told Minister as politician McKenna early in her mandate that a price on carbon would have to go as high as $300 per tonne. It's a secret document, by the way. Secret. Because you see, you're not supposed to be involved in what they're up to. That's what they've been training you for a long time not to do, is to be involved. So they keep things secret from you. And you elect these people, and you keep electing these people who, who, have, who have these things done in secret from you. And you think you're free. I tell you one thing, these politicians are not representing the people at all. So Environment Canada told Catherine McKenna early in her mandate as minister that her price on carbon had to have to go as high as $300 a tonne. The document obtained by the National Post, signed off on by the department's deputy minister, outlined carbon pricing options for the nascent Liberal government in November 2015. The Conservative Party obtained a document with an access to information request to achieve 30% reductions from 2005 emission levels by 2030. The target set by Stephen Harper's Conservative government and maintained by the Trudeau Liberals, a price of $100 per tonne would need to be in place by 2020. 
Based on external modelling, the price would then have to go up between $200 and $300 per tonne by 2050, government experts suggested. How can you be an expert in BS? Huh? Because this is what, what it is. It's, it's all an imaginative nonsense, a, a fantasy that they, they're trying to make a reality by just saying it over and over and over, repetition, like Bertrand Russell said. And it's big, big money for those at the very top. They're getting all these carbon credit trading schemes on the go and carbon exchanges and so on. A new stock market of conology. Anyway, so the numbers are based on a carbon pricing plan. But yeah, well, how can you get a carbon pricing plan? Eh? But you know what? A price of anything is an idea. You know that? It's not like something in nature says, oh, Canadians and everybody else have to, have to pay $300 a tonne. No, no, no. Humans design this nonsense. Psychopathic ones, good con men. Anyway, begin 2015 and assume a carbon tax only policy, absent new regulations. Any delays in implementation, the briefing note says, significantly increases required price. So if you don't do it fast enough, that to make it more expensive. The seven pages immediately following the numbers are redacted. <laughs> The presentation prepared for McKenna contains research not just in carbon pricing, but on other systems such as cap and trade, which sets a cap on emissions, which, in other words, you can't breathe anymore or heat yourself. And that'll keep increasing until you can't heat yourself. I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding you at all here. And allows the markets to trade limited carbon allowances back and forth. So the big corporations can make a profit on this conology, which you're all going to pay for through the nose and every other orifice. And it says, we're working on a clean fuel standards. We're working on building codes. In other words, they're going to, if you live in a house which they deem one of the old houses, you can't live in it anymore, folks. Walk off, toss the keys away, and just kiss it goodbye. That's where it's all going to go, and I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding you about this at all. You'll see this happening. It says it suggests that using both systems together would incent emissions reductions at the lowest cost and raise significant revenues taxes. What do you think we're going to do with all these taxes? Hmm? Folk are going to get even more stinking rich than they already are on it at the top. That's about it. Anyway, I'll put this, this link up too. I always put the links up for what I'm prattling on about, but I'm just showing you that the future's already planned, and you had no say in the matter at all. You, you had no say from these so-called, uh, quotation marks, elected governments. This one here is about the electric car subsidies. And this one says it takes greenwashing rather than whitewashing to a new level. And it says next month Montreal will host a Formula E championship. Listen to this. An electric car race for which the city's taxpayers, again, you can't do anything with people who have lost the ability to have righteous indignation. You can't help them. So they'll host an, uh, this championship, an electric car race for which the taxpayers of the city will cough up $24 million in addition to guaranteeing a $10 million line of credit for the group organizing the event, all for the distinction of hosting a race that no one's heard of. This is happening across the globe, by the way. 
these events. That's even more than the $18.7 million that Ottawa, Quebec and Montreal pay Formula One owners each year to host the Canadian Grand Prix, the fossil fuel-powered car race that draws thousands of tourists to the city each year. This is that makes the Formula E one pricey carbon offset. It seems there's no lens to which some politicians won't go to in their drive to look greener than now. And it's so true, eh? They've got to stand up there and again they're, they do their, uh, their preening. They preen themselves, you know, virtue. It's not just signalling, it's preening in front of audiences. So, so there's, there's no length that they won't go to look greener than now. It says, his support for the carbon-spitting uh, Grand Prix, notwithstanding Montreal Mayor, and the mayors are all on board across the world, by the way, on this thing. You don't elect these, the, the men as some sort of super government, but that's what you got. They never sleep. The, the big agenda never sleeps. It's always busy. Anyway, it says, notwithstanding Montreal Mayor uh, Dennis uh, Coderre, fancies himself an environmental trailblazer, never missing a photo op that involves hugging an electric vehicle charging station. He makes going green look so easy. It says, easy but not cheap. Subsidies aimed at encouraging the purchase of electronic vehicles, they call them EVs, are perhaps the least cost-effective and socially inequitable emissions reduction measures imaginable. They typically favour well-heeled early adopters, wealthy folk, who would have bought an EV anyway. Yet politicians keen to look green continue to throw good taxpayers green after bad. Earlier this year, Ontario removed the $3,000 rebate cap on EVs, costing more than $75,000, enabling wealthy Tesla buyers to claim a $14,000 subsidy on their luxury indulgence. Well, it's all, this is all paid for by the rest of the taxpayers, folks. Yeah. Aren't you getting rather ticked off with this fascism? This is real fascism, public-private partnerships, where where the taxpayer funds all the big corporations into existence. You pay all their costs. <laughs> you know, Quebec offers a lower rebate of $8,000, but it's gone further than any province to promote EVs by requiring automakers to sell a minimum number of zero-emission vehicles with a a ZEV target of 15.5% of all auto sales by 2025, a more than a 20-fold increase in over eight years. And then it goes into the likelihood of meeting such targets or remote and so on. But it won't stop the politicians from wasting even more taxpayers' money trying. You understand? I'll tell you something else, and it's my opinion, but you also get a lot of sniffs of it too. And there's a lot of people on the take there's a lot of folk on the take. We're living in such an incredibly corrupt age when politicians can leave office and you know darn well that the money and lifestyle that they have is way, way, way above their, their salaries. Same, same with the prime ministers too and presidents of the US and other countries. The money they make is just astronomical. Well, who do you think is, where do you think all that money is coming from? Do you really think that lobbyists just go up and shake hands and do little Masonic gestures and, and ask favours of you? Do you really think that's all there is to it? Do you really think that? Anyway, here you have, uh, as I say, the, uh, this, this nonsense too with, with the different uh, electronic vehicles. 
and they've already got problems with um, <laughs> you've got problems in, in Canada and other countries too, but there's not enough charging stations for them. And they always do the same trick again. Eh? They start giving you little little freebies initially to get all on it, and then they jack up the prices big time once they've got enough folk on it, such as charging your, your cars. Because believe you me, a place like Ontario, when they brought Maurice Strong back from the United Nations years ago to privatise Ontario Hydro, that's what he did. They made him the head of it. He was there for a year or two, getting paid, by the way, from the United Nations, from, from his position there, and getting paid from Ontario Hydro, the taxpayers, at the same time. And he privatised. And he said at the time he wasn't going to fix or, or reopen one of the main power stations, the nuclear power stations for Ontario. And since then, we've been told, oh, cut back in electricity and, and use less, and etc., and be thrifty, and yada, 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 yada. And now they want you on electric vehicles. Well, if they couldn't supply enough electricity, when they were telling us there'll be brownouts down the road, get used to it. And all the mainstream for a long time. I read them on the air. And now they're going to give you electric cars. How far, how far do you have to think to realise, really, that's not intended that everybody gets electric cars. It's going to be intended to get you out of your combustion engine cars. That's what it is. And you won't be able to afford your electric cars or even replace the batteries. And I'll get to that later. It's one heck of a cost. And again, back to Agenda 21, there'll be no private vehicles eventually anyway. Everyone's to be crammed in to the already overcrowded slum cities, the old cities. That's part of the agenda for our lifetime. All the ordinary folk. Anyway, I'll put this link up too. It's quite good. But I'll tell you something, it's a hard thing. Just do a search on the real costs, straightforward costs, of charging electric cars with electricity. And, and it's, it's almost like a secret. Because they don't want you to know all the facts. Another one too, it says, more charging stations for electric vehicles should be priority, the industry experts say. Well, if that's the industry, uh, let them pay for it themselves. Because huh? there's just handouts from the government they want. Auto industry and government leaders say that in order to help spark electric vehicles sales in Canada, the charging stations need to be made more widely available across the country. Speaking on a panel on the, at the Electric Vehicle Conference in Markham on, t- on Wednesday, Ontario Transportation Minister Stephen Del Duca said that the most significant challenge in bringing more electric vehicles to Canada's roads is a lack of supportive infrastructure. It says the Ontario government invested $20 million of taxpayers' money from the Green Investment Fund, which is still taxpayer money, to build around 500 electric vehicle charging stations. As of May 23rd, 208 stations at 96 locations, amounting to 43%, have been installed, said Del Duca's press secretary, uh, Celso uh, Pereira. Can's electric vehicle market remains small, amounting to 0.56% of all vehicles sold in 2016. That, and commitment to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, is in part why the federal government created an advisory panel aimed at bringing more zero-emission vehicles to Canada's roads. Now, these things, by the way, are not zero emissions either. There's a whole story there, too. The, the, the amount of waste 
but highly toxic waste just making one of these vehicles is way beyond anything else. It's the same with solar panels. Same thing. You, you actually look it up and you see the cost of making each panel, for instance, and, and because it's to do with the electricity and you know, the, the materials they need to use for it, and with the cars too, it's also the batteries and everything else, highly toxic, way more than, than most things that they get rid of down the road. But facts don't matter when there's a big agenda there. And big pe- you know, people who are already rich, as I say, are going to get even more, more rich and more rich by the taxpayer funding backing them. So General Motors Canada President Steve uh, Carlyle and Nissan Canada uh, President Joni uh, Piev agree that a challenge in convincing consumers to go electric has been addressing range concerns and fears about recharging options. And so this, well, number one, they're way too expensive. They always will be too expensive. Even replacing the batteries is, is about half the price of the vehicle. So say some of the articles here. And when you're dealing with vehicles that, that are about 75 grand each, well, that's a lot of cash to replace batteries and so on. Anyway, you try and get any real data on the system. It says... The newly installed stations in Ontario will be a, a mix of level two systems. There's level one, which is your home. Uh, but they're putting out little gimmicky things to get the mousetraps, they call them, to be incentive for folk to buy them. And initially, of course, with their, with their rebates too from, from the taxpayer, who's going to pay for all? It says that the level two system, which uses a 240-volt system, that'll be at shopping malls and so on, and can fully recharge vehicles from zero in about four to six hours. That's for the 240-volt system, as opposed to about the, the, the 10 to 12 hours, I think, or more, if you do it at home, which would be great if it's a power outage. Of course, you're gonna, and you won't be able to get, get a charge to go to your work next day. But again, these are all problems they don't want you to think about. And it says, as well as level three, which are a more powerful 480-volt system, they're going to charge cars to 80% capacity in about 30 minutes. So it won't even be 100% capacity, it's only 8%, but it'll take it about 30 minutes or more. It'll depend, too, on the weather, how cold it is, because buyers don't do well in the cold. Never mind, they can't really keep them that long in the cold either. But again, let's not let the facts get in the way here. And again, no doubt they'll be putting, they've already got, in other words, they're already putting in subsidies for, for charging stations. Again, by the taxpayer. But all these subsidies will be taken away down the road if not folk have these vehicles. Then they start paying full cost for everything. That's how it always works. And then very few folk will be able to drive at all. That's also part of the agenda, remember. Another one, too. It says, uh, fast chargers not delivered as promised. And it says it's up to businesses to apply for government funding to install electric vehicle charging stations. It says Zachary Lefebvre. President of Mio Electric of Montreal. His company, which sells and helps to install charging stations, will be assisting with the second round of provincial funding for fast chargers. The funding comes as part of a three-year plan to increase station coverage in the province, with $20 million assigned annually. Wow. <laughs> We're already bankrupt, eh? So they tell us. They keep printing money, but... Uh, we're already bankrupt, and here they go. Right? Money, money, money for, for the stuff that's 
Well, it's only meant to last a, a certain amount of years until we're all off the road, because we won't be able to keep, uh, keep uh, unless you're very, very, very rich or working for the government, and then the government will pay for your electric car and the cost of maintaining it, because you won't be able to do it yourself, obviously. Another one, two, supporting carbon pricing. How to identify policies that generally complement an economy-wide carbon price. And this is from a big a green site here. This is Canada's Ecofiscal Commission. Ecofiscal. So there you go. And telling you at the top what, what ecofiscal means and so on. It means rah, 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 we're all going green. Now you can go through this article yourselves and look up the different who's behind it, what they are, etc. Ecofiscal Commission. But uh, it's a rah-rah thing for pricing carbon and how wonderful it's all going to be as the public get poorer and poorer and poorer, obviously. And then this one here, too, to do with lithium-ion batteries for the for these electric cars. It says they have risk, but they can be managed, etc. So there's always a positive spin on stuff because all the big news guys, as you know, get a lot of money from these corporations you know, and ads, etc. And they, they're going about, in the past two months, three Tesla Motor Model S electric cars have caught fire after their lithium-ion battery packs were damaged. This article is from 2013, when they talk more about it. You'll notice there's almost a blackout regarding news about them going on fire now. I'm sure they're still doing it. You cannot... Pump it, especially using the, the 480 volt systems. You just can't pump that kind of juice into something without them overheating and then exploding. And there's even terms, they know why it happens. There are a bunch of fancy terms of, of how it happens in the batteries, too. But it says here that even so, the incidents have drawn attention to the safety of the batteries used in military vehicles. In certain vehicles, they were more common. They've tried everything to, to even encase the batteries in aluminum half-inch or whatever it is, but that doesn't do any good either. Apart from that, aluminum really, once it hits a certain temperature and a fire, really takes off, and uh, it gets actually worse as far as I know. But uh, I'll put this article up too for those that want to have a look at it. But then this one here, this article says, How much does it cost and fuel to run an electric vehicle. And again, it's like, it's like pulling teeth at a dentist to try and get the facts here, because they're so evasive and everything. It says, there's no charge. Now, here, here you go. This is how they're, they're, they're selling it to the public to start with, until you, it's all subsidized, right? There's no charge for charging your vehicle at most public stations. That's at malls, etc. But now somebody's paying them all. You better believe it, it'll be the taxpayer. But an hour's charge while you're having a booster juice at the mall uh, might only get you 30 kilometers worth of juice for your ride. The majority, over 80%, are so-called no-fees, said Ron Groves, manager of outreach education for Plug and Drive. Now, you've got to look, the link is there, look them up, you'll find it. It's like a big corporation in itself, this so-called non-profit organization. Right? Non-profit. Nothing in this world is for not-for-profit. Nothing. And the salaries these characters, it's like charities make, it's just astronomical. Because legally, you can, you can award yourself any salary you want. And you're, and you're put down as a non-profit organization. But you pay your members, right? Whoever you want to.
So I don't want to say no charge because that doesn't make sense when you're trying to charge a car. There are three types of charging for the plugins, and they go through it all. To level one charging, that's your normal plug in your house, for instance. 120 volts. It says then there's level two, so 240 volt. And then there's the next one that says, well, actually it says you can cut charging time by 45 times. So instead of 18 hours to charge the battery on level one, that's at your home. It's only five hours on a level two, Grove said, uh, where you're mostly w- w- wanting to charge is at home. So every morning you wake up with full battery and full amount of range. Uh, it says when you get to level three, it says, uh, it's, they'll talk about that later. I don't know what, I don't know why I'm going to talk about it later. This is ridiculous. The way, the way they write today is, is disjointed. So this article talks about the different types of charging. And speed of charge, or or <laughs> or not, or lack of speed of charge, actually, I would say, and how you can charge at home if you get a 240 volts charger put in your home, between 800 to 2,000 dollars to have it installed, and so on. And then they try to bamboozle you the cost versus a gasoline car for for filling up a, a gasoline car, etc. But they don't factor in the fact that a gasoline car can plow through better freezing, sub-zero temperatures, uh, a lot better than any of these electric things can go. And various other things too. Also this article here, it says, a Tesla battery in the Model S costs less than a quarter of the car in most in most cases. It's a kind of PR piece actually. This is a point of reference. The Model S lineup ranges from $71,000. This is the car, the basic one. For entry level, 60 kilowatt an hour car to $81,000 for the standard 85 kilowatts hour version. So the basic one to, to buy it is the small one, it's $71,000. And then it'll be subsidized by government and so on. Using the, the most cases reference from JIB as Strobel, that would most likely mean that the standard 85 kilowatt per hour version Model S would be a safe bet to have battery costs at less than a quarter. That translates to a total maximum cost of $20,250 or 238,000 kilowatt hours. That's for battery replacement, I guess. So there you go. How's that for replacing a battery in a vehicle? Over 20 grand. And for the better one, uh, it's uh, 238 grand. I see, so how much would it cost to power a smaller 200 mile entry level EV from Tesla? The estimate it could be achieved from around 50 kilowatt an hour, seeing how much the 60 kilowatt per hour version of the Model S is rated at 208 miles by the EPA and so on and so on. This is the 50 kilowatt an hour of lithium power would only translate to a maximum of $11,900 in costs. That's what it could be done for, but it's not, I guess, what it is being done for. I really don't know. It's so hard to get straightforward facts on any of this stuff which means you're going to get screwed. That's what that always means. Another one, too, is this article. Ties in public-private recipe for sustainable urban development. The urban development model developed by the Australian city of Melbourne, one that other communities seek to emulate, engages the private sector and civil society equally in its objectives and processes. I bet most civil society don't even know what's happening. There has been a more critical time for private sector to partner with other 
others to tackle the critical global challenges facing our cities and communities. This is the, the reinventing government I, I mentioned last week, because that's really, it's all part of it. It's under reinventing government. The old rights you had, the, the, the whole idea of what your government was, what your country was, it's all changed with this. It's a complete revolution. And it's in action already. has been for quite some time. This is the answer, in short, uh, through system support, harnessing collective will, and recognizing that it's all about people working with people, blah, blah, your propaganda. And it's got the urban arm of the United Nations Global Compact. You better look that up, folks. The world's largest voluntary corporate sustainability initiative is driving a cross-sectoral task force approach to sustainable urban development at the city level. And this is fascinating, actually, when you really get into it, all the different city partnerships, etc., and UN Habitat Governing Council, and so on. So your whole concept of where you live, what your nation is, everything is, is now out the window, folks. It is law, because they made it so without you noticing. Another one, two Montreal hosts mayors from around the globe at Metropolis World Congress. World Congress, eh? So Montreal Place hosts the 12th Metropolis World Congress this week, bringing together the mayors of nearly 140 cities and 1,000 delegates to discuss how major urban centres can work together to resolve some of the pressing issues facing the planet, from global warming to urban gridlock. Among the mayors attending this year's Congress are from Paris, Annie Hidalgo, Chicago's Ram Emanuel, naturally, Michael Muller of Berlin, and Miguel Angel Mancera, mayor of Mexico City. So it says, founded in Montreal in 1985, Metropolis was created as a forum for cities or municipal regions with a population of more than 1 million people to share best practices in municipal governance and advocate for more powers to create change. And see, all the change is already out of your hands because these are the characters who go along with the changes for the United Nations on their behalf not for the, any elected representatives or governments that you think you're electing. <laughs> and then you have this one too. Australia's tantalizing lessons on privatizing infrastructure. This is selling off all the public infrastructure and giving it to private corporations for peanuts, big international corporate boys, and that's how they do it. The White House's Infrastructure Week didn't offer many clues about how the Trump administration might approach its promise to spend big on ailing infrastructure in the United States. But when it comes to financing roads, bridges and other projects through public-private partnerships, we know Trump advisors have one model in mind that Australia's uh, figured out nearly 10 years ago. In July 2008, facing the fact that that inadequate infrastructure could limit economic growth, this is after Prince Charles, by the way, gave his big speech on public-private partnerships. It says here the Australian government decided to do what it had never done before, infrastructure planning on a national level. That month, the federal government created a statutory board, Infrastructure Australia, that brought together the public and private sectors to devise a long-term strategy and prioritise key projects for funding. The agency's mandate includes auditing the country's significant infrastructure network and developing 15-year rolling master plans that specify national and state-level projects. It finished its first audit in 2015, followed by the first master plan last year. And it goes on and on and on. 
And if you really read through it all, you're going to find that uh, the whole system that you lived in is completely being changed and privatized, by the way. And you try to get your rights back from, from private corporations. You tell me how you're going to do that. Because governments already are, are using an excuse when people complain. Oh, it's not ours anymore. You have to complain to the private corporation that owns this or does that. And, and under law, the corporation doesn't have to reply to you or address anything, any of your concerns. Quite clever, eh? This is the new feudal system I've talked about for years. It's all here. And getting bigger all the time. And getting worse all the time. And more authoritarian all the time. Because uh, the front pieces they have managing the public on their behalf, such as national radio or television stations, are terribly authoritarian now. Just listen to their speeches and so on. The way they talk to the public. Where they approve or disapprove of different callers, depending on what they're talking about. They're not neutral at all. And that's what we're living in, folks, is a massive transition. This is the century of transition that I talked about for years. It's here. And the 20th century, they kept talking about this century, the 21st century, is a century of change, where all the big plans would come to pass, where folk would have their rights stripped away from them. Very cleverly, they wouldn't even notice it like them until it was long gone. And, uh, and that's all happening right now as we speak. Quite something. Now remember, folks, too, you can help me tick along here by buying the books and discs at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. And you can donate as well, because it costs me money to, to keep all these sites going and so on. And it's sad, too. There's so much data now. And I, I do understand that the public are becoming mind-bombed trying to follow so much. You can't follow everything. You'll go crazy if you try to do it. But the, the imperative things are what's happening with your nation, with the state of the nation. Is it still a nation at all? You're already split with, with brainwashed folk uh, growing up from, from kindergarten thinking that we should all be communistic and live in this happy little utopia being run by global managers. It's all here. It's all been happening. So uh, I get, it's sad for me too to only put out part of the stuff I'd like to put out. But it would take forever. And most folk can't handle it anymore. They, they just shut down with too much information. Even on one or two topics, they just shut down. They can't do it. They're getting conditioned very cleverly that drama takes over and, and uh, from facts anymore. It's sad. I've watched it happening. I've watched the big movements being destroyed carefully. And I, I know what's behind it all. Sad. Very sad indeed that people could fight for centuries for rights only to give them away and, 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 be, and have them taken away in such a clever way they don't even notice, even by those they think are standing up for them. Very clever in, in techniques indeed. And chronology is certainly alive and well in this day and age. It really is. Well, from a very mosquito-ridden northern Ontario, Canada, I'm Alan Watts. It's good night. May your God or your God's go with you.